Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. Dude, something on this site smells foul. Many of us use CSS as part of our jobs, but there is a huge difference between writing CSS that makes a site look good and CSS that is actually maintainable. There are a lot of slimy hacks that everyone had to do as recent as five years ago in order to make sites behave correctly across browsers. As a result, many developers and development shops have to deal with terrible, unmaintainable CSS. In this episode, we're going to talk about several signs that you're working with bad CSS, along with some approaches to fixing it. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Well, uh, my daughter had her fourth grade graduation, went to that, you know, did the thing. Uh, she, she's been carrying around like a lucky piece of obsidian that she got somewhere. And I happened to see a month or two back when I was in Ace Hardware that they have like the thing at the back that's, that's got all these different stones, like semi-precious stones, like tiger's yeah. eye and that kind of stuff. It's basically so that like while you look at chainsaws, your kids can go play with colorful rocks and it keeps them busy, but they'll yeah. sell them to you. So I, I took her over there after, and that just absolutely made her day. It's like a like a six dollar little baggie of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they were you know, polished. I mean, they're yeah. pretty and all, but and she's. Been, I mean, it was an hour and fifteen minutes. We were over there with her deciding exactly what she wanted for that, and oh, that was yeah. her fourth grade graduation present. I, I I completely get it. I was I had one of those like rock tumbler things. Yes, I did too. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I think my dad uses that for for spent brass now to clean them up. Yep. <laughs> I think that's where it went. Um, let's see. Other than that, I mean, I've, I'm having like some upper back slash shoulder slash neck stuff going on. I'm not sure what is wrong yet. I've been to the chiropractor three times this week. Um, I've had my neck taped and I've had my shoulder taped. So, like, you know, you can kind of tell like when you're off balance, when you're, you know, your head's out past your where it should mm-hmm. be or you know when you're when your shoulders riding higher it's riding you know too far forward or something like it you feel the the tension on it so you can tell that this is not where it should be um i'm troubleshooting it i think a lot of it is coming from my office chair um i did discover as well that it's the way that i read at night is also not helping because you know my wife is asleep usually and i've got you know i've got my bedside light on and so i'm over on my right side yeah and that's that that could wrecking be my it, yeah. shoulder. Like I used to do that all the time as a kid, and I apparently cannot do that now. So what you need to do, and I was telling my sister this when I was visiting her, is that you need to get one of those uh, Kindle paper whites because it's not like reading from a screen, but it's got a backlight. Yeah. So it's it's a light glow. So it's almost like paper that glows, and it's it's really nice. It's easy to read, just laying there. And um, I'll bring mine over next week. You can take a look at it. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been thinking about getting one of those, um, and I do know that Father's Day is coming up. Well, if you don't get one for Father's Day or one for yourself, I'll get you one for your birthday this year. Ah, okay. 
you guys heard it here. If I don't get it for him, you guys can hold me accountable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I kind of would like one of those anyway. Just, yeah. you know, like I went on, I went to Vegas and I was carrying how many books? Yeah. Grant, I took uh, John Sommes' book and was going to get him to sign it. And then I completely forgot. Mm-hmm. And so I would have had to carry that anyway. But you know, I, was, I took a couple of fantasy novels as well. And I did not have to carry those. So how about you? Well, I, I also have been to the chiropractor for my semi-annual visit. My brother-in-law's chiropractor. My niece graduated from kindergarten, you know, because the kids, they get a graduation for every year of school. They they survive. Uh, starting today, I'm full stack on my project. Nice. My UI developer is uh, on vacation for the next week, so I am the developer on this project. He supposedly got everything set up, and I just have to go in and do some on-init work, which... Uh, Started on today, it's turning out to be a little bit more challenging than I expected. All of that and any bug fixes that have to be done, I'm it. Uh, I did spend quite a bit of time tracking down some bugs that turned out to be database issues. Where the, the As tables did get moved right. Yep. Honestly, it's an interesting time to be on a small scrum team as everyone is in and out with vacations and stuff. Because I was just out of town earlier this week and then I'm going to be gone at the end of next week for Music City Tech. So it's it's interesting being on a small team where there's only two developers and a BA and a QA. Also, I just finished my first week of this six-week challenge at Iron Tribe. Uh, I was out of town for the first of this week, so I weighed in yesterday. And just one week in, I've already lost two pounds. It's nice. a not a bad start, but I got to step up my game if I'm going to drop 25 pounds in six weeks. With a lead-in like that, I bet you think I'm going to talk about something workout-related for IOTs. Since I've been away, I've had a dog sitter come in and take care of Scout for me. That got me thinking about what IOT products were out there for pets. Clever Pet is a product that provides a way for your dog to get some entertainment and activity while you're away at work or the bar or the gym, wherever you happen to be. It has several different activities for your dog to do and progress through. One of the modes is even a memory game, uh, very similar to Simon, but designed for dogs. It's kind of neat. I, I was watching a video of it uh, and like watching the dogs hit the colored keys was really cool. It even gives the dog a treat when it completes the challenge. You can follow your dog's progress through a mobile app. Now, it's not available yet, but it's coming out soon, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. So, this is a little workout-related, but not the way you thought. Yeah. Who's talking to us this week? We grabbed a tweet from Code Coffee Cafe. It says, Thank you guys for amazing podcasts. I like your episodes and like the episode Differentiate Yourself. It gave me a belief and a reason to stay motivated and continue learning regularly. Well, thank you. That was a very fun episode to write and record. We enjoy what we do. We, we really do. We, we get into it. Um, and that one was basically about setting yourself apart, which is something that Will and I have been doing, well, all our lives, but specifically within the world of development the last few years by starting this podcast and trying to get out there and get in front of people. 
send us a DM with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, leave us a review on iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Google+. We're also on Path, Instagram, and Tumblr. You can check us out each week as we do a live feed where we talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer some listener questions. Or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. CSS is a pain for most of us. Uh, For new web developers, it's yet another way of thinking and has a lot of little gotchas that can waste a ton of your time. For more experienced developers, it still requires a change in the way you think as you're working. And you probably are not keeping up with it as well as you have with things like JavaScript. If you're working on an older code base, it's even harder, as CSS tends to be one of the last things people clean up due to the difficulty of knowing what you're breaking as you do so. You know, it's funny. uh, Have you seen the meme that uh, new developer, got to do some CSS, yes, got to do some JavaScript, oh, no. Experienced developer, got to do some CSS, Oh, man. Yeah. Got to do some JavaScript. Yes! Yeah, there's another one floating <laughs> around as well that's like, what was it? I, I changed, you know, you, you know change, change padding on element by one pixel. Explosion, sirens in the distance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So why is CSS painful to fix? You know, first off, it's a different mindset that's required to work with it. You know, cascading rules make things hard to trace. Real hard. It's also hard to figure out where a particular style is being used. Um, think like string concatenation to set styles and things like that. Or, um, you know, to, to create classes. Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, you know, not only that, but it could be up from the element that you're working on, that that's happening. Yeah. And that completely changes the rules on you. And it's like, there's nothing like you can't even you can't control F. Your way out of this. Well, it, it reminds me of something, and I'll probably mention this again, that Amy Knight said when she came on the show, and that's the difference between CSS and something like JavaScript is with JavaScript, you want as few global variables as possible. You, know, you want things to be within a very small scope, whereas with CSS, you want as much stuff global as you can and only get down to smaller scopes for very, very specific things. Right. And so it's just, it's a reverse mindset from what most people are used to thinking about. Yeah. So another thing is that stuff has changed a lot with CSS. Like this is moving just about as fast as JavaScript is in a Mm -hmm. lot of respects. Um, Thankfully, you know, there's not as much uh, framework-itis going on there (laughs) um, as there is in the JavaScript space. But as far as like what the standards boards are doing, Mm-hmm. You know, like like the code base I'm working in, we have places that are still using table-based layouts. We have float-based layouts. <laughs> we have, um, what was the one before Flexbox? Oh, uh, that was before my time. Or, no, it was, it was Flex, before no, and after my time. No, there was Flexbox and then there's Grid. We have all of those in our code yeah. base. And just about everybody else has that same problem, unless you've just been like viciously pruning it. That's where you are. Oh, yeah, I... I know I am on the maintenance team this quarter, and I get to see some of these older things. So now you're aware of the other rule of development that we don't tell people when they start, and that is that 99% of everything was crap for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah. 
many developers don't really want to learn how CSS works. And you can bet that they touched your code base at some point. Yeah, it's it's funny going back to the the other CSS episode we had. That's what Amy had said. The reason she dug deep into it is because no one else wanted to. Yeah. And you know, I think that's a great thing for people to do. Yeah. So I don't have to. Yeah, especially <laughs> especially if it's CSS, so that other people will do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It. Um, you know, CSS can be eloquent. Um, I've made a career out of cleaning up brownfield projects, so. Mm-hmm. My experience has been that the least talented CSS-related developers tend to touch a lot of the CSS code, and they write really specific rules for really specific things. And you, if you have to ever go in and try to make general rules out of specific ones that are kind of a patchwork, that is really, really rough to do. I think at some point what's going to happen, honestly, is you're going to have somebody using like automated uh, web testing tools and they're going to wire that into some sort of machine learning framework to generate like the real CSS for your site. <laughs> like, I think that's where we are. Like we're going to eventually get to the point going, you know, Hey, this is like flipping burgers all day. Like this is too cruel to do to mm. another human. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, along those lines, the final thing that we're going to talk about is painful is just lack of code reuse, especially if you're not using a preprocessor. this makes copying, pasting, a very normal thing. Yeah. And it never, ever, ever should be normal. Right. Like if, if you have to, and this is my rule, if I have to use the same code more than once, it gets abstracted. Yeah. And that's a little harder to do with CSS, again, without the preprocessor. When you get yeah. a preprocessor in the mix, now you can start doing things um, like what a responsible adult software developer does, you know, post, I don't know, say 2000. <laughs> <laughs> or post-2015, depending on your language of choice. So we thought it would be interesting to discuss some of these problems and their solutions in the context of an already established project with an established team. This is a bit different than the greenfield development that many of us would prefer. And some of us get to do. Yeah. A lot of these things can be helped significantly with a good preprocessor, but it will take time. CSS preprocessors were built to mitigate a lot of these problems. So much so that we could have titled this episode 10 Signs That You Might Want a CSS Preprocessor, except not all the things can actually be fixed with it. (laughs) That's true. That's true. So on that, the very first thing that we have is that you're not using a preprocessor. CSS lacks a lot of the features that a developer would expect to use in order to have a clean code base. Reusing chunks of vanilla CSS in multiple rules is a lot harder than you'd probably like it to be. Yeah, and the the layout of CSS files also doesn't show the hierarchy of applied rules in a way that makes them easy to understand. I mean, all the rules are there, mm-hmm. but they're they're kind of tangled up. It's sort of like the uh, the legal contract from a shady auto dealer. You know, like they don't want you to actually know what this means. Yeah, it it really is because. It's not like they're they're under each one and like you can follow yeah. the tree down. It's you have to find where each class or ID or element, if you're that crazy, are. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's a pain. Yeah, because I mean, I can remember back in the day, um, you know, like on navigation, you know, you'd have your your body tag, and then you would have what was it? There was there was stuff where you could set. Uh, the current page and people would do per page mm-hmm. CSS stuff. 
so that when you're clicking through in a menu, like that menu item is is highlighted, like that's the one that's selected. Mm-hmm. Like that, there were so many practices like that that were just way bad back in the day. So there's another problem as well, um, in that some things that you have to specify are extremely verbose. Like for instance, if you correctly set the border radius on something and you want want it to work right in old versions of Mozilla. You want it to work right in uh, WebKit. You want it to work right in Safari, um, which it probably won't. Uh, you want it to work right in IE, which it definitely won't. <laughs> you know, you want it to work right in Edge. You might be okay, um, but right, like there's a chunk of all these rules that you have to deal with, mm-hmm. and if you have to put that in a whole bunch of places, and then at some point later you go, hey, let's change that by one pixel, like just. Look at code changes like this and go, okay, how painful is this going to be if I have to change this across the site? It's going to be real bad. So you can use CSS preprocessors such as SAS and LESS and Stylus and, you know what I'm saying, to add features to CSS that make it easier to use. Right. So SAS, for instance, adds things like variables and nesting to help you create a better structure. SAS also allows partials, which are sets of reusable rules that can be kept in a separate file and imported at pre-processing time. So it's like static linking, mm-hmm. um, you know, for you C++ programmers. Like that's another you know piece that comes in. It's not a separate DLL. So I've not used uh, a lot of SAS, but uh, the Hexo yeah, the templates stylus. that we use uses Stylus. And it's, it's very similar. You've got mix-ins, you've got uh, partials, and you can, you can make reusable pieces. Right. And it, it's actually quite nice. It's it is like writing JavaScript CSS. Yeah, yeah, it, it is kind of like that. It's a strange way to put it, but I get exactly where you're saying. <laughs> um, and you know, SAS's mix-in support is really nice for those verbose rules, like we mentioned above, because you would make a mix-in for your border radius thing, and then you reuse that everywhere. And when you have to change it, it's in one place, and right. you're done. It's not a three-week project. SAS and LESS also support a lot of other constructs that you might be interested in, such as inheritance. Right. Um, And I got to admit that I'm not overly interested in that. I mean, I think there's people that probably would use it like (laughs) making framework type stuff. Uh Uh, I'm looking at that going, okay, can can the people I know that are slinging CSS on average maintain that? I'm not there yet. (laughs) Sounds like something I would put into our developer launchpad site just... Because I'm like, ooh, neat, I can use inheritance here. Because I was learning about inheritance around the time that I was writing the CSS for that, or the stylus, because that's what we used. Yeah. So, no. And by we, you mean you. Yeah. Because I didn't really (laughs) do a lot with that. Okay, so the next one is using at import in vanilla CSS. And the reason this is not such a good thing is that it results in an extra HTTP call to your web server, and that's going to slow down page rendering until it is cached. So your page requests a CSS file. Your browser goes out and says, yo, let's get that CSS file, because yo is, you know, that's an HTTP get, right? And then dog is your response code of 200 that returns your CSS. And then it looks in there and goes, oh, crap, dog. I see you like CSS, so I put CSS in your CSS so you can cascade while you cascade. And so I've got an import statement, so I'm going to go back to the server and get the next CSS file, and it's got import statements in there because import statements are like XML and violence in that if you start using them, you've got to continue using them. 
I, and there I we just are. <laughs> really, really want to point out that Will and I are creating our own software language, and we're going to call it Mimi <laughs> for memeing. Yeah, There's, yo dog. It's it's a tail recursive um, thing. Uh, yeah, that would be so bad. It'd be funny, but it would be really stupid. <laughs> Almost as bad as learning white space. Yeah, or some others that we can't say the name of on the show because this is a PG yeah, episode. Yeah, there's that. Um, this is better handled by using a CSS preprocessor like Less or Sass and then judiciously using partials and mix-ins so that you get all the thing in one shot and it's there. When you use a preprocessor, the contents of imports are inlined into the file that is being sent to the browser. This results in only a single download rather than multiple ones. And, you know, it's something I've been working on a lot with my own API code is because we have to call different services is trying to reduce the number of calls across the wire. Right. So I, I only want to make one call to the database. I only want to make one call to the service. Instead of having to hit it and then hit it and then hit it. You know, the best way to do that, right, is get on a really, really slow connection and then see how your site performs. It'll make you so mad that you'll fix it. <laughs> or get one of your coworkers to, I don't know, say live in Ecuador and have to do it over slow connection. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> That's a rather specific <laughs> yeah. joke there, huh? So the next code smell we're going to talk about is hard-coded numeric values, colors, etc., reused in numerous places within the code. You know, this happens a lot if you have non-design developers and they've been working on your CSS, especially when they've got deadline pressures. Yeah, so just make it 92 pixels and make this other one 107 pixels and this other one 14 L's. And then we're good. <laughs> yeah. Like that happens a lot more than you want to think about. And if you ever change one of those pixels, you know, oh, lordy, <laughs> it's going to be bad. You're going to spend a lot of time on that. Um, should you have to change any of these, you'll have to search for the values in question and determine if they really apply and if you should fix them. Right, because 95 pixels in one place is not the same as 95 pixels somewhere else. Like, say, oh, I don't know, well, 95 pixels is not a good example. I was going to use font size, but you know, if you've got a 95-pixel font, you've got a whole other thing going on with your site. <laughs> <laughs> That's your MySpace page, isn't it? You ported it, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, uh, wow. Yeah, but you know, you can, you'll see the same value, but that value doesn't mean the same thing yeah. in different places. So you're going to have to look and go, okay, what? What is this? And oh, by the way, it's not overly traceable where that's being used. This is why I like the shiny, happy people. REM. Oh, yeah. It <laughs> <laughs> took me a minute. <laughs> Just because two elements are using the same value that's hard-coded in, especially with colors. Oh, my goodness. Especially with colors. Uh, try getting TARDIS blue hard-coded. It's impossible. Uh, doesn't necessarily imply that they should both change if the color changes. Yeah. This gets even more fun with things like sizing because some of the hard coded sizing that you run into is because of the sizing of a containing or contained element that does not use this hard coded value. So what you'll end up doing is even if you fix this and you get it to a variable, if you ever change that variable, there's going to be lots of side effects because it was built around just, okay, this is just for this element. Mm -hmm. 
And when you when that assumption goes away, the assumption becomes obvious. It's really more like you need a redesign of yeah. your CSS, but who really has the time for that? Right. I mean, unless you have someone come in that is just a designer and that's what they're doing and that's what they're getting paid for is to, hey, we need to stop using floats and we really need to get into the modern era and make our site look like it was built after the year 1998. Yeah, it was a good year. Um, <laughs> lots of tables, lots of blank tags, lots of B tags for bold. Um, yeah, it's was, it was good times. Lots of animated GIFs and Flash, Flash everywhere. Flash was never going away. Um, you don't really want your site to do that anymore. No. It's no. not like Bell Bottoms. It's not like being retro is actually cool. <laughs> not that Bell Bottoms are cool either. Big thing is a preprocessor will help you here. It allows you to use variables, mix-ins, arithmetic operations, those kind of things. So instead of having to assume that two equivalent magic numbers mean that two elements are related, this approach allows you to indicate that by way of use of the same variables. The next smell that we have is insufficient attribute specificity. That, that word just rolls right off the tongue, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Background instead of background color when setting color, for instance. And I see a lot of developers do this and unfortunately only stop this practice relatively recently you know, in terms of my career. I think I stopped like four or five years ago because mm -hmm. I realized what it was doing, you know, because it, it wasn't in any of the documentation. It's like, hey, don't do this, dummy. It was just like, here's how you get by and you, know, you center a thing. And mm -hmm. that was all they told. They didn't tell you enough of the mechanics. Yeah. So with background, for instance, you can set all sorts of stuff in that one. Yes. But here's the thing. It's like choosing not to decide. You've still made a choice. Yeah. Because if you do background color, you're also... Basically saying, you know, here's the values for all the other things that I didn't specify. It's just whatever you feel like, browser. Um, mm -hmm. And browsers feel very, very differently. And you'll see stuff like this for borders, font sizes, or, you know, the font uh, will do this. There's a few other things like that, that there's shorthand properties. You just got to be really careful with that and start trying to clear that anti-pattern out. Because the other thing is, is people, you know, you, you might have had a, a Wait, really... I'm confused. What is the anti-pattern? Go back to the background. What is the anti-pattern exactly? Using background. And Insta not background color. Right. When you're okay, specifying good. color. All right. Good. We're on the same page. That, that's yeah. what I thought. But then you said something that made me think, wait, did I misunderstood that? Well, here's here's what hurts. Mm -hmm. Right. So let's say that you're going into your CSS and you're fixing this. You're, okay, I'm going to go in here. I see background and it has the color. Right. So I'm going to change that to background dash color. Surprise, you broke something. Turns out there was actually a CSS developer who understood CSS. And they meant that. It okay. doesn't clearly express intent when you're doing that that way. They should have put all the stuff. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to do background, you put everything in there right. or you put the specific thing you want to, right. to set. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those intent expression things that really gets you. Mm -hmm. This is another place where a preprocessor can help tremendously. If you do manage to use insufficient specific attributes and are using mixins and things like that, you only need to change them in one place. Makes it so much better. Yeah. So when you screw up, you can go back and fix it. Mm -hmm. However, a preprocessor doesn't get rid of the entire problem here. Instead, you probably need to use a code quality tool 
something like a CSS linter to find places where you're creating implicit CSS behavior rather than explicit behavior and clean that up from there. Yeah. And this is one of those times where it's cleaner to be explicit. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Weird. <laughs> that's, uh, that's one way to think about it. Uh, yeah. I mean, just don't have code with side effects. Yeah. This is the CSS equivalent to that principle from uh, object-oriented. Um, the next one is the bang important or the exclamation point important that you'll see all over the place. That's what we used to call it back in the day is bang. I guess maybe they don't call it that now. I don't know what you whippersnappers say. So I read it as not important. Yeah. Because I, you know, I don't really do much CSS outside of our stuff. And so I see it and I'm like, oh, exclamation point. That means not. Yeah. Except it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> or well, it does. It means that it wasn't important to me to do this right um, on average. Uh, this is a pet peeve of mine. Important is used to override the styles applied to an element elsewhere. This is a way of overriding the CSS rules for an element. So it's like in, in you know object-oriented inheritance, it's like saying, okay, I'm not just overriding this method, which is okay, but I'm changing its signature. So the only time I've ever used bang important is when I was trying to figure out how to do something the right way. Yeah. And I use that to get a visual and go, all right, this is what I'm trying to do. Now I can comment that out come back and try to do it. Nope, that doesn't match what I had before. And that gave me a visual cue yeah. to help me understand how to do it the right way. Yeah. It was a tool in the process of building proper CSS. And the reason I say that and the reason I did it that way was because one, you had already fussed about people using bang important right. to me before. So I didn't want to do that in our website. Yeah, because I would find it. Yeah. I wanted to do something and I was having trouble getting it to work. So I'm like, all right, I know this will make it work. Yeah. Let me put this in there. Okay. I see, I see it visually. The other thing I could do was I could go and look in dev tools and Google and, and set the element itself. Yeah. Because that's, that has the most specificity. And so that's, that's how you get around it. Now, back in the day, we didn't have good tools like that because mm -hmm. there was a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like you're editing CSS files in Notepad sometimes. Oh. Um, like, this is why that was that way. And so developers would get it to working. And then if they took the important off of there, it didn't work. And so they would just leave it. They're just like, well, you know what? I've got a way to make it work. I've got other stuff to do that I'm getting paid for. Right. That makes sense. This really indicates not only poor or incorrect structure in your CSS code, but it also indicates that you're trying to hack around the problem rather than actually solve it. Um, and that only makes problems bigger. So here's the deal. CSS styles are applied based on importance and origin in a particular order based on their relevance and their appearance in the style sheet. And there's a set of rules for that, which we discussed with Amy Knight. Uh, the more specific, the more weight they are given, you know, when deciding which one to take. Bang important overrides this default approach and means that more specific rules will not be applied, which is really, really annoying to fix. Um, it mm -hmm. gets especially bad when it's in an element that is up from where you are and you're like, well, why is this, you know, it's, it's locked this way and I can't figure it out. I mean, dev tools, like they've spent a lot of time trying to make this visible and they do an okay ish job. Now when you're looking at an IDE, probably not so great. Mm -hmm. So I just went and looked in our CSS for the website. Uh -huh. There are two places where I still have bang important commented out. Okay. So I just hadn't deleted those. I was like, oh, please tell me there's none. Oh, there's two. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, good. They're commented out. <laughs> yeah. yeah 
because I was about to do a search myself. Hey, just want to make sure the boy paid attention. Um, now, uh, what what gets you on this as well is if you're using bang important on a shorthand property, it also applies on the sub properties that property. So this combines with the previous item that we talked mm-hmm. about where you're you don't have sufficient specificity. This will nail that too. Well, this is my case, at least when I have, like I said, used it to get to that point. It was to help me find that specificity. Yeah. This is, I mean, the thing with that, that's okay. What you, you know, it's okay to build a skyscraper with a scaffold. It's not okay to live on the scaffold. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's going to collapse at some point, you know, and you're going to get rained on and yeah, it's just no good. So the next one is overly large CSS files. And what really big files indicate is that you aren't using cascading very well. And they tend to make people very reluctant to work with the code. So its quality will degrade more and more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of a human nature thing. Cause like, it's like, look, it sucks to get in here. I don't want to touch this. So they don't touch it or they touch it as little as possible, which means they write brand new rules at the bottom and they go on with life because their stuff works. Now, when you add this to the fact that separate files end up being separate downloads, it's a good reason to use a preprocessor to combine the files for the end user, but keep them separate for the developer. I mean, this is what we do with Grunt. Yeah, you bundle stuff. And we had that stuff in uh, C Sharp before we really had access to Grunt in our build pipeline. Right. Yeah, this is a completely reasonable way to, to handle it is break it up for the developers. You know, like d- don't let the download characteristics of a file inform you on how you develop with it. Like, find a way to generate that other thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. because this would be like constantly debugging minified JavaScript, which I have done a fair bit of. You do not want to live, you don't want to swim in that pool. Yeah, so we have a rather large CSS file for our website because we're using WordPress. And I I don't have access to go in there and and pre-compile and put it in there. So I have to copy and paste it into the... uh, what is that um, custom CSS? Yeah. And it, it, so I write it all in VS code and then copy and move it over. Cause that's the only way to get it in there. Yeah. And that's one of the things I really dislike about WordPress is those kind of things where if you know what you're doing, it doesn't help you. Um, right. <laughs> you could make your own theme probably, and then do some grunt work literally um, to <laughs> make that happen. But yeah, it, you're not going to have a good time. Essentially what this is, it's the kind of, code smell that you get um, when any other source file gets excessively long and it, it it tends to indicate that the thing is doing too much stuff in one particular scope. Mm-hmm. The next smell is having a separate CSS file per page in the application. Really? People do this? Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I That's just, oh my goodness. That's like, well, like what you, what I, I've seen. I, I skimmed this, but I I, I still just had that reaction. Like I, I read this line two or three times when I was reading through this outline and I still have this reaction. People do that. Yes. Um, now you'll see some variants of it. It's not just that you have that one file for it's, it's not really just for that page. So like you have a main site mm-hmm. CSS, that's the shell of the site. And then you go to a particular page and it's got its own CSS that it's loading in there for, just for its bits. Okay. If that makes sense. So what you're trying to do, what they're trying to do is they're trying to contain the problem. So if somebody changes something, it doesn't break halfway across the site. I, f- I follow that. What you're saying makes more sense. I, I was thinking a, a separate 
complete separate CSS for each individual single page. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's like well, this said, is a variant I, of it that's more common. I yeah. guess is probably a better way to put it. Right. Um, and you know, I'm I'm thinking like, all right, well, with SAS or stylus, I haven't really done much with less, so I can't say. But with those, I can see where, all right, so for you say you were doing a blog. So like for blog posts, you know, for all the blog pages, you may have one or two CSS files and for this and that different things you have on the site. Yeah. Um, well, and you're also doing a uh, single page app, yeah. right? So like that's completely unconscionable for you because it's like that thing's loaded. I moved to another page. It's still there. Yeah. Um, but you think about the world where people had um, a lot of frames on the page and you click in the left frame and it changes what the right frame is and it's got its own special CSS and they're trying to just be really targeted so that they don't like the, the ba- basic thing that happens here is people are scared of the CSS. And so they're like, let me make it so that if I change something and if it broke something, it only broke it here. Okay. CSS is meant for large abstractions about how a site works, not for sniper targeting every specific element in the site, it's not an abstraction over inline styling. That's that's basically because that's what they're doing, right? Is they're yeah. going, well, here's this element on this page. I have a separate CSS file, so I know that this the um this item is completely individually addressable, and I can only change it, and I don't have to worry about everything else. Well, this sounds like an extension too of what we've mentioned and we talked about in the other episode, which is having that that mindset the i'll call it the javascript mindset but it's the i don't want to say the regular programming language but like it's the the programming mindset the object oriented mindset of you only want something within the scope of whatever it's in so if a variable is only used in that function you only want it in that function right um as opposed to with a cascading you want as much stuff to be at the top level right. as possible and cascade down it's where you only change the few little bitty things that have to be changed in that specific class or id right because they're thinking about it like uh, you know your css rules are private variables but what they actually are is they're global variables right what's your design pattern for global variables if you're stuck having them which you are because the way css works you have as few as possible and you make them as broad as possible because again we're not worried about threading and you know they're not mutable and yada yada So they're like constants. They're like public constants. Okay. No. Right. Because you have a public constant, you you know, for, you know, this file is is open for write. Like you put that in one place mm-hmm. so that you don't have to change in every method. So this ends up in a lot of repeated code. That means that code that appears in many pages will have to be copied into a lot of other CSS files or add imported. Yeah, which is what will happen. Yeah. And then you get a whole bunch of downloads. And neither one of these is a great way to handle it. Yeah. This approach might be advantageous in some circumstances, however. If you do need to do this, consider using separate files for however you wish to lay it all out and then using a preprocessor before serving it to the client. So you can break it up and you could have special rules for a particular page. Mm -hmm. Server side. Well, yeah. Now, see, now that makes sense. And to then you me. stream it down in that bundle of crap that you're sending down to the client. Yeah, because because that's what like with our developer launchpad or your website or my blog. Right. That's the way I set those up with the CSS forum. Is well, not specific per page, but say per 
like functional area. Yeah, functional area. Like all the blog posts are right. one thing, and all of the other things that we have on there are different things. Yeah. So each one has a has its own partial that then gets pre-compiled into the one CSS that goes out. Right. Because that, you know, is a situation where you're keeping the stuff together that is for one thing so that you can change it and you can work with it. If it legit is scoped to that, Mm -hmm. that's fine. Just don't don't do one page per because you're going to suffer real fast. Yeah. Especially with all the copying and pasting that a lot of CSS developers or developers that happen to get stuck with CSS do. Mm -hmm. You're just asking for it. Now, another one that is a code smell here for sure is styling elements instead of classes and the occasional ID. So if you're styling an element, that would be like, we're going to make all the P tags in the site look this way. All the divs in the site look this way. There's some tags that you can kind of go, eh, you know, maybe, maybe I want them to all look a certain I'm just way. thinking for, for continuity throughout the site, um, I have a few of our tags that are like that, where it's like, all right, I want these to look the same throughout the site. Well, like H1 tags. Yeah. Right? Like you're you're going, okay, I want these to all be the same size, probably, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Um, You do that with divs, you're not in a happy place. (laughs) I don't do that with divs. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's a few tags that, yeah, you might kind of do that. Um, I would still almost lean towards not having the global rule at the element level, just because if I ever have to come up with an exception for it, now what? Because mm-hmm. I got to really think about how not to break the rest of the site. So that's that. Because like, you know, the, the thing with the H1, like for instance, the H1 tag, that is semantic markup. That means a thing when a search engine is reading that. It doesn't specify a appearance for the thing. So one thing I do is with our body tags, I'll I'll have specific things for those based on the at media, and um, so and I've seen that work okay. Except um, I've seen situations where people will actually have another body tag in there because they're getting HTML from some other source, mm-hmm. and that shows up in there like they're trying to do a preview of what some WYSIWYG thing did. And man, you talk about some weird stuff that happens. Most of it has to do with the because we have that mid layer background on our site. Yeah. It has to do with how the backgrounds are handled depending on the size of screen. So the the actual background that we have with the code look goes away when you get to a certain size screen and the midground becomes the background. Right. And that's that's what I'm doing with that body tag. Yeah. There. I mean there's places this works, but like you start seeing a lot of that, um, that's a sign. I think that is the only Sorry, I'm scanning through just making sure that our CSS doesn't use any of this. Yeah. And yeah, it, is, it, is the, does, it does really make you uncomfortable, doesn't it? Yeah. Because I'm thinking, I'm like, you know, half of this I wrote three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and now I have it on a coding podcast website. Somebody's going to look at that, especially right after they listen to this episode. <laughs> so really, realistically, what you could do is you could leave it alone and the angry... Uh, emails sent by people that are wielding uh, torches and pitchforks, they'll tell us where they all are. Yeah, <laughs> so we're good. True. <laughs> you, know, you guys suck. <laughs> you know? Okay, cool. Thanks for telling me where to fix that. Well, I do I do have some things that specify like within this, like a, an H4 in this class or with this class yeah. thing um, or like a block quote in the show notes class. I do have some of those, but they're they're specific to the yeah, they're target. They're not global. No, they're not. 
they're um, they're specific to that. So I'm I'm like I said, I'm just going through and I'm like, all right, let me make sure. Yeah, the only thing I have are those body tags that have to do with the the way the background is handled. Yeah, I'll also tell you that this rule doesn't include situations where you have to have global CSS resets because you're targeting older browsers, like mm-hmm. down level crappy browsers. Um, you know, like old IE. Um, Lord help you if you're still dealing with Netscape for some awful reason but there was a time period there where you had to do some stuff oh yeah um because like ie would put extra spacing around things and so you had to reset and you had to say star don't put padding don't put any spacing leave it you know like don't like just leave it alone and then you override that further down because that that was at the head and i guess you kind of do that some now um although a lot of the browser vendors have gotten better because they realized hey this makes people hate us it makes developers like you know credible technical people that other people ask questions of hate us. So maybe yeah. we should stop doing that. The the browsers have gotten a lot better about working yeah. with you know working together so that it, it looks similar across browser. Um, plus you've also got certain frameworks like I like Bootstrap personally. Yeah, I do too. Even yeah. though a lot of people don't. Yeah, I mean I don't understand like I get that like heavy design people don't like it because they're like, oh it it makes everything look the same. I'm like yeah, that's fine for you know us developers that are just trying to put together a product. You want to go in there and you you take this and then you build on it. Yeah, I would say Bootstrap is really good for web apps, and hand rolling CSS is really good for websites with an artistic bent. I I completely um, agree with because that. Because otherwise, like if I had to hand code hand roll CSS for a site now, oh man, no. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, sorry, I, I just I don't like that much pain. You know, it's like I yes, I can write a program in Assembler mm-hmm. as well. But why would I do that? I want to do that just to say I did it. Oh yeah, you you, you get over it real quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you want to identify cross cutting design decisions and refactor to using something like the BEM model block element modifier. Or refactor to using classes instead. Yeah. Or refactor to using a CSS framework. Yeah. Like, that's a completely legitimate choice. And it's, yeah, it's going to be painful no matter what you do. But if you go to that, you know, now if you go, hey, I want to change the colors and the appearance of some of these things. I go to Theme Forest and I buy a bootstrap theme for $7. Well, here's the thing. Even if you're using, say, bootstrap, we're moving to bootstrap where I work and we've got a lot of custom stuff. You can build onto it and you can customize yeah. things. It's just a good default. So if we haven't customized something, we still have a decent default until we say, Oh, Hey, we want to customize the way this particular thing looks. Yeah. And then you can fix it. And that way you can spend more time on the things that are really setting you apart versus treating everything like it sets you apart. Yes. Uh, this goes in with the whole differentiate yourself thing that we talked about before. You differentiate yourself by determining what things you're not differentiating yourself on. Exactly. Overuse of IDs can also be a horrible code smell, uh, as it can indicate that you are dealing with HTML elements as elements and not as components of the system. It's just, it's over-specifying, and it tends to be a, an indication as well that people don't understand the CSS or that it's badly structured. And so people are trying to protect themselves from it. This is a defensive coding thing that becomes apparent. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm not sure if I overused IDs or not. 
I don't think I understood them as well as I do now when I wrote most of the CSS yeah, so. on our site. So if you guys do check out our site, you yeah. understand this was written when I very first started coding. Yeah, and it's held up. There's some stuff that's got to get fixed, but you know it's it's held up pretty well. well. The other thing is I have gone through and made changes. Yeah, as we've gone along, and I'm I, at one point I had two different files because there's two different places that you could put it in our theme, and I've unified those, and I'm trying to come up with a a unified pattern, but I don't want to break our older stuff. So I'm and before I go back and replace the classes and stuff in there, I've built it, and now I need to go back and, and do those fixes. The next code smell is inline styles. And honestly, this is just as bad, if not worse, than inline JavaScript. This is like, well, this is like a class per, or a, a CSS file per page. Oh, yeah. This I mean, is it just literally that. Is. Yeah, because, I mean, you just haven't moved it off. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's virtually the same. The only place we have things like this are where I, we're like using some component that was built somewhere else. And it's just like, all right, copy this. Um to embed it. Yeah, like MailChimp. Yeah. That's that's a prime example. Or if you're doing email. If you're doing HTML email, there's some things that it's, you're probably better off hard coding and just getting over it. Yeah. Inline styles are a real, real problem. Uh, it means you have to touch every single page on the site in order to make a broad scoping change. It also tends to introduce page bloat because now you don't have this thing off the side that's getting cached. So every single time that you pull that page down, you have border one pixel solid black on every element that you did border one pixel solid black on on that page Mm -hmm. every single time, unless you cache the page, which you may not be able to do. This usually occurs because either it is too painful, too scary to directly mess with the CSS file, or they are leftovers from like a WYSIWYG tool. Yeah, or from somebody messing with the HTML in the um, web editor mm-hmm. directly, and he's going, okay, I've, I've got that right, now I'll save that off. Because, you know, some of them will <laughs> let you save to your file system, and, like, I've seen that a few times, too. I can't say I haven't done that. Yeah. When I'm, like I said, I've, I've used the, the, the bang important and that as ways to figure out what I want to do, and then go in and try to make it match. Yeah. Um, so it happens, and I've done that. Um, I'll tell you when I do it um, is when I'm actually laying out a page. Yeah, I start there, and I get all that. You know, I get it done mm-hmm. that way, and then I pull, I refactor to CSS because all the crap is in one place, and mm-hmm. I can tell what I'm doing, and then I, I move you. it off. Because it, a lot of times um, when I design a page, I don't have the idea in my head quite as well as I maybe should, um, or specs change on me. Those mm-hmm. kind of things, or you discover something new or something weird and unimaginative that really wrecks your day. And so, like, if you have all this stuff there on the page and then you refactor it off, I find that that hurts a lot less than trying to constantly mess with the CSS and try to think about the scoping rules and all the stuff that goes on there while I'm trying to fix JavaScript and HTML and backend CS, um, you know, deal with HTTP funkiness and deal with the database and deal with unit tests. And, you know, like it just gets that to where I can, I can handle all that in one shot and not think mm-hmm. about the other things. Understand that many of the problems with this approach still occur when the inline styles are set by JavaScript as well. Yes. It's just harder to clean them up that way. Yeah. You just don't see them. Yeah. That's really what it comes down to. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that. 
Um, especially when you deal with people that like to concatenate JavaScript together or they, you know, they build, they build the JavaScript dynamically or they build the, um, HTML dynamically using JavaScript and string mm-hmm. concatenation. Yeah. We've got some spots, hot spots in our site that are like that. And like all the attributes are specified in line. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you got to change something and just to go, okay, like put two pixels on this thing. Woo. Have fun, buddy. Mm-hmm. So the final code smell we're going to talk about is serving unbundled or uncompressed CSS files without cache busting. Yeah. So cache busting is basically where you do something to the name of the file so that if a previous version of it was cached, you're not colliding with that. So it pulls a new file. Mm -hmm. So just to uh, express that term. In a development environment, like running against localhost, it's hard to see how Excess HTTP requests make things slower. You also tend to avoid caching because you're iterating on a design. Right. In fact, we a lot of times have tools where I change the CSS and it immediately changes. Yep. In a real environment, however, that's not true. The excess web requests drastically slow down page rendering, uh, especially if you're on like a mobile device or something. In addition, failure to cache bust can mean that changes to your CSS aren't seen by the users because they have a cached version. Right. And if they don't go in and clear out their cache or set it to not cache that. Or you didn't put the right headers on there and their browser obeys that, which is not always guaranteed. Yep. Um, Yeah, you can get burned by that a lot. And what's really fun is like they have a cached version of the CSS. You change the JavaScript and HTML and you added some elements or you removed some elements. And all of a sudden, you know, everything looks good except this one thing that's just kind of off to the side, just hanging there because it doesn't have any CSS <laughs> applied to it. I've seen that. <laughs> and and it looks it, it looks like, uh, you know, it's like buffering. <laughs> yeah. Know? It's just really bad looking and it, it does not look professional at all. No. Browsers often cache files by file name, which works well unless you've changed something. While you can do a lot of things with cache headers, sometimes the browser ignores them. Yeah. Again, pre-processing will help here by allowing minification of the CSS files and allowing you to rename them for cache busting purposes. If the file name rendered out for the user is different, the browser won't cache it. Problem solved. Yeah, because it doesn't know that this is the same file. Mm-hmm. That's just the way, like, like, that's a structural way to fix that problem, to make sure that that is handled, rather than having to trust all the web browsers out there. Um, you know, bear in mind, I've seen some stuff with caching. Um, I'll just give you a quick example. Yeah. Yeah. It was Safari on the iPad circa 2013, 2014 was caching the results of post requests. So you posted something to the server and it got a result back. It would cache that. The next time you made a post with the same values, you just got the cached result that never sent it to the server. Like browsers can do a lot of really, really dumb stuff. And you don't you don't want to be depending necessarily on all the browser vendors getting that right. Exactly. Most developers are of the opinion that CSS is nasty to deal with, and they would not be wrong in that opinion, uh, especially when you treat it as a second class citizen and don't take advantage of tools that are designed to help with the process. CSS in many development shops is being managed with the same sort of sophistication that could be expected of JavaScript a decade ago. And honestly, y'all, we can do better. We have to. That pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? 
I have something that would be helpful for you if you are proposing uh, fixing your CSS, and that is understanding that you have four options to dealing with office conflict. Uh, you can try to bring it to a head. You can ignore it and hope it goes away. You can try to calm it down, or you can go somewhere else where the conflicts are different and unknown. Those are your options. Understanding that you're always making a choice between those options is an adult way to go through life. Um, there's a lot of people that think that, you know, interpersonal conflict in an office environment is something that they can just ignore and it won't affect them. That's really, really not true. Uh, the conflict is not being inflicted upon you without some degree of control on your part. Um, it's not going on around you without some degree of control on your part. And you really have to step up and, and realize that, like, look, I'm, I'm here. This thing's going on. I've got to deal with it. And don't, uh, don't kind of stick your head in the sand and try to pretend like you're able to actually ignore, you know, bad things going on in, in, in an environment like that. It just won't turn out well. If you catch yourself feeling helpless, you need to pick a, a different choice from whichever one you picked, whether it's bringing it to a head or not. Um, but just always remember that you are making some degree of choice, even by not choosing. A again, look at CSS and realize how long people have gone without making choices to fix that and realize how big of a mess it is everywhere because of that. If they'd acknowledged that they were making a choice from the beginning, it probably wouldn't be like it is. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.